Book Three, Chapter One, Part Two of the History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume Two by Henry Charles Lee, Book Three, Jurisdiction, Chapter One, Part Two, Heresy. While the petitions of Valladolid, for the most part, received scant attention, this one at least bore fruit, for, with the removal of Ferdinand's pressure, the bishops had an opportunity to reassert themselves. In 1520, a decision of Cardinal Adrian required the presence of both inquisitors and ordinary at abjurations and confessions under the Edicts of Grace, and, in 1527, Manrique and the Suprema declared that the ordinary concurred in the cases required by the law, an ambiguous phrase which seems to have been variously construed. This was not conducive to harmony, the inquisitors grudging any intrusion on the jurisdiction and the ordinaries insisting on their rights under the Clementines. In 1529, when the Suprema chanced to be at Toledo, the matter was brought before it by Diego Artiz de Angulo, fiscal of the local tribunal, in a memorial arguing that to require the presence of the ordinary would entail great delay, as he often could not attend when summoned. Besides, he was always in contradiction with the tribunal, as was notorious to all connected with the trials, objecting to pecuniary and light penalties, and endeavoring to acquire jurisdiction at the expense of the holy office. At Angulo's request, the Suprema had a number of witnesses examined, of whom the most important was Martin Ximenez, who had been occupied for forty years in the tribunals of Barcelona, Toledo, and Seville. He testified that the ordinaries were only called for in the three acts specified in the Clementines, but in explaining details he showed that the inquisitors construed them in a fashion to exclude the ordinary from much of his functions, for, in place of participating in all sentences, he was allowed to join only in convictions for heresy, and bore no part in the lighter cases, the object being to prevent his claiming a share in the pecuniary penalties, although he was summoned to the consulta de fe in which they were voted on. Other witnesses bore the same testimony, and it is not difficult to understand why the ordinaries took little interest in the exercise of the jurisdiction thus arbitrarily limited. It was probably owing to this discussion that the Suprema, January 25, 1530, told the tribunals that differences with the ordinary must be avoided. In the same year it notified Valencia that all cases sent up to it must have been voted on by him, and, in 1532, it sent similar orders to Barcelona, adding that the presence of the ordinary was requisite at all abjurations. Evidently the tribunals were jealous, the ordinaries were rebuffed and discouraged, and the cooperation of the two jurisdictions was little more than a formal recognition of a virtually obsolete right. The routine practice and its workings are exemplified in the report of a summons served August 8, 1534, on Blaise Ortiz, then Vicar General of Toledo. It cited him 
to come and assist in dispatching the accumulation of cases since the last auto de fe held nearly four years before he was to lay aside all other business and present himself daily at the morning audience to witness the torture in nine specified cases and at the afternoon audience to vote on ten of which the trials had been completed he was notified that if he did not come the inquisitors after the delay specified by law eight days would proceed without him the summons was borne by the fiscal accompanied by a notary who made a formal act of service when the fiscal stated in his errand blas ortiz negligently told him that there was no necessity of reading the paper he was not well but if he were able he would be present at all cases if he did not come he committed his power to the two inquisitors or to either of them who was willing to accept the commission apparently ortiz did not come for in several sentences rendered this year at toledo the inquisitors styled themselves apostolic inquisitors holding the powers of the ordinary from some motive not clearly apparent a custom arose to some extent of appointing episcopal ordinaries or provisors as inquisitors this was frequent enough to lead the cortes of madrid in fifteen fifty two to complain of the combination of the two offices because when a provisor arrested a layman which he could not do legally he claimed that he acted as inquisitor with the result that many persons were subjected to infamy they therefore petitioned that no provisor should also be inquisitor to which the answer was returned that in such cases royal cedulas had been issued and that this would be continued discouraging as was this reply the petition seems to have made an impression for in fifteen fifty six both charles v and philip the second rebuked inquisitor-general valdez who was also archbishop of seville because his provisor was also inquisitor in that tribunal his defence was that this had been the case in seville for half a century owing to the poverty of the tribunal which paid only one-third the customary salaries and that he himself defrayed the stipend of the provisor during the remainder of the century we generally find the participation of the ordinary carefully recorded whether it was by a special representative or by delegation to the inquisitors in fifteen sixty one inquisitor cervantes takes the barcelona tribunal to task for not keeping record of this and he orders the fiscal to observe it sedulously for without the concurrence of the ordinary the sentence is invalid a carta or cordata of october fifteenth fifteen seventy four reminds the tribunals that he must sign all sentences of torture and that all final sentences on which he has a vote but there was a rule that he did not sign sentences of acquittal even though he had voted on them yet how purely perfunctory was this participation appears in the case of fray Jeronimo de la madre de dios at toledo in sixteen eighteen in the consulta de fe melgoso the provisor agreed with one of the inquisitors and a consulter on a certain punishment another inquisitor voted for a heavier penalty and when the matter was submitted to the suprema it adopted the latter but melgoso obediently signed the sentence the inquisitorial jurisdiction for all practical purposes had absorbed the episcopal 
as the inquisitorial districts usually embraced several dioceses it was impossible for the bishop or provisor of those at a distance from the tribunal to be personally present when their subjects were tortured or sentenced it became customary for them to delegate their powers to some resident of the city which was the seat of the tribunal that they were not always careful in their selection would appear when the tribunal of sicily was obliged in fifteen seventy four to notify an archbishop that he must appoint ecclesiastics and not laymen to sit in judgment on matters of faith taking advantage of this carelessness the inquisition undertook to control the character of the appointees and it issued august seventeenth sixteen thirty seven instructions to bishops that their provisors must be graduates in canon law but as canonists proved to be scarce it was obliged october twelfth to modify this and permit the appointment of theologians in accordance with this there is an entry by the tribunal of valencia that it will recognize don luis crispi as ordinary of tortosa although he is a theologian thus a further encroachment was made on episcopal jurisdiction by the inquisition in claiming and exercising the right to determine whom it would recognize as a fit representative of the bishop how offensively this was sometimes used was manifested in seventeen fifty two in lima when the inquisitors amusquibar and rodriguez were involved in a prolonged quarrel with the secular and ecclesiastical organizations to annoy the inquisitors archbishop barueta notified them that in view of their bitter competencia with the viceroy he withdrew the faculty of don fernando de la sota as his representative and appointed padre francisco lareta s j to this they replied that they recognized his right to withdraw the faculty but as for lareta he was incapacitated by his profession from exercising the functions if the archbishop would appoint someone in accordance with the statutes of the holy office and possessing the necessary qualifications he would be received the assumption that they would recognize only whom they please staggered the archbishop and he asked them to explain the disqualification of lareta to which they insolently replied that they had already stated what was sufficient for his guidance he submitted and appointed the franciscan thomas de la concha who was accepted but when the archbishop transmitted the correspondence to inquisitor-general prado y cuesta and asked for reparation he obtained none episcopal concurrence had never been more than a bare formality in recognition of the immemorial jurisdiction of bishops over heresy and as time wore on the inquisition became careless even of this in a number of trials by the tribunal of madrid between seventeen o three and seventeen ten the inquisitors are recorded as acting sometimes with and sometimes without the episcopal representatives and in the latter half of the century a writer informs us that the concurrence of the ordinary is unusual it depends on the will of the inquisitors who sometimes summon him and sometimes do not still there were some bishops zealous for the claims of their order who persisted in asserting this remnant of jurisdiction antonio tavira bishop of canaries and subsequently of salamanca expressed their feelings when in seventeen ninety two he complained to carlos the fourth of the treatment of the episcopal order by the inquisition 
saying that they had ceased to vote in cases of faith in order to escape the humiliation and degradation to which they were exposed they sent their vicars although this was indecorous and wholly useless but they felt that they must preserve this little shadow of a jurisdiction which was rightly theirs under the restoration greater attention seems to have been paid to episcopal concurrence and the adherence to strict formalities is shown in a duplicate trial of juan antonio manzano a physician of lumbrales in a diocese of ciudad rodrigo an inquisitorial district of Yerena. in 1817 he was tried for heretical propositions by the tribunal of logroño which inquired of the suprema whether the ordinary of its own diocese could act and was told that the authority of the culprit's own bishop was imperative and that the bishop of ciudad rodrigo must appoint a representative the next year manzano was again arrested for the same offence by the tribunal of yerena and was transferred to seville because yerena had no prison april seventeenth eighteen nineteen the seville tribunal asked whether its own ordinary could join in the sentence and received the same answer then it must apply to the bishop of ciudad rodrigo to make an appointment it was all the merest technicality for by this time the suprema decided all cases irrespective of how the consulta de fe might vote and thus the incontestable episcopal jurisdiction over heresy was practically abolished as regards the internal forum or form of conscience the inquisition claimed and enjoyed a still more absolute jurisdiction than in the external form for which it had been primarily instituted while in a formal and perfunctory manner it recognized the episcopal claim in the judicial forum it so employed its delegated papal authority as to vindicate with the utmost jealousy exclusive control over the form of conscience in matters of heresy bishops in fact had long been ousted from this by the invention of papal reserved cases cases in which sacramental absolution could only be had from the holy see thus creating a profitable market for its indulgences confessional letters and the absolutions of its penitentiary heresy was the chief sin anathematized in the early form of the bull subsequently known as inchena domini from its annual publication on holy thursday and in thirteen sixty four urban the fifth placed all the offences enumerated in it under the jurisdiction of the papal chamberlain the papacy thus assumed exclusive control over the sin of heresy for which no absolution could be granted save by papal delegation and paul the second in fourteen sixty nine and sixtus the fourth in fourteen seventy eight issued further decrees to the effect that special license was necessary for this as no general commissions were held to cover it the council of trent in fifteen sixty three timidly endeavored to revendicate a fraction of episcopal rights by asserting that bishops in the forum of conscience only could personally absolve for secret or occult heresy but the roman inquisition by repeated decisions based on the utterances of st pius v and gregory the thirteenth overrode the conciliar decree and deprived them of that slender remnant of their functions 
this strict reservation of the sin of heresy was imperfectly understood in spain and so little was known of the laws of persecution that at first the new christians who apprehended arrest endeavored to escape by sacramental confession and absolution ignorant that already in the thirteenth century it had been decided that the pardon of the sin in the form of conscience did not cover the crime in the judicial forum this method of evasion could not be allowed and yet the inquisition was uncertain how to act a brief was therefore procured november tenth fourteen eighty seven from innocent the eighth addressed to all the inquisitors and ordinaries in spain reciting their doubts about proceeding against those who assert that they have secretly confessed and abjured to their confessors to overcome this it was asserted that the decrees of the fathers required such abjurations to be accompanied by an oath taken before an ordinary in presence of a notary and witness never to return to the abjured heresy wherefore the inquisitors were empowered to proceed against all who had not observed this rule if such a rule had ever existed which is doubtful it had long been forgotten and was wholly unknown in spain so that all who had had recourse to this device were brought under the jurisdiction of the inquisition the new christians were not long in realizing the futility of such attempts and we hear little of them in later periods yet there were cases of occult heresy concerning which the functions of the inquisition seem to have varied in the earlier times the edicts of grace brought these to the tribunals and the instructions of fourteen eighty four permit the inquisitor to admit them to secret reconciliation and abjuration and do not contemplate his delegating his power to another there must have been doubts as to his faculties for this since in fifteen thirty clement the seventh delegated powers to inquisitors to absolve and reconcile for occult heresy with the imposition of appropriate penance this evidently contemplates his administering sacramental absolution and yet not long afterwards he was told that he was judge in the external and not in the internal forum and that it was not his business to hear sacramental confessions in fact the inquisitor was by no means necessarily in priests orders and when acting in his judicial capacity sentencing a culprit and hearing his abjuration he simply granted license to any approved confessor to absolve him from excommunication and to impose salutary penance there was however a class of cases by no means infrequent demanding sacramental rather than judicial ministration which gave rise to some debate before their treatment was settled these consisted of good christians who were assailed by secret doubts or indulged in erroneous speculations and who brought their spiritual troubles to the confessional over these priest and bishop had been deprived of jurisdiction and to make sure of this there was a clause in the annual edict of faith prohibiting confessors from granting absolution in any case touching the inquisition and ordering the penitent to be sent to the tribunal if he refused to go the only alternative was for the confessor to obtain from the inquisitor a license to absolve him for the confession was covered by the seal and prosecution was out of the question but as to this even in the middle of the sixteenth century there were doubts 
Bishop Simancas says that the power of the inquisitor to grant licenses is doubtful, and he can only suggest reference of each case to the Suprema. A body of practice, of uncertain date, asserts that when a confessor reports that a penitent has confessed heresies and asks for a license to absolve him, it cannot be given. He must be ordered to induce the penitent to come to the tribunal. In case of necessity, or of persons in high station, the inquisitor may go with a notary to receive the confession, which is examined in the tribunal, and the consequent absolution or abjuration is performed in secret. In the case of nuns, who could not be induced to discharge their consciences before a commissioner and a notary, there was a concession that the confessor might reduce the confession to writing and send it to the tribunal, which would consult the Suprema, and frailes were to be compelled to seek the tribunal where they were treated as espontaneados, or spontaneous self-denouncers, and were absolved or reconciled secretly with spiritual penances. The indisposition to licensed confessors to absolve for heresy in the form of conscience is easily explicable. By compelling the penitent to come to the tribunal, a record was made for use in case of relapse. If he had accomplices, he could be forced to reveal them, and their prosecution followed. And there was an opportunity of inflicting pecuniary penances, although confiscation was waived in such cases. These same reasons operated in a contrary sense with the penitent, besides the horror which all men felt as to falling into the hands of the Inquisition. When he was obstinate, the tribunal was powerless, for the seal of confession shielded his identity. It finally yielded the point, and no longer pretended that licenses could not be given to confessors. In 1562 a case was referred to the Suprema of a person who had confessed sacramentally to certain heresies without having been taught them by anyone. When the confessor-general empowered the inquisitors to absolve him in such a way as they thought best, and they empowered the confessor. Finally, it became the rule that the confessor sought to induce the penitent to apply to the Inquisition. If he resolutely refused, the confessor applied for a faculty, which he was granted, or not, according to the temper of the tribunal. A case in 1754 shows the Inquisition in a favorable light, and has interest also as illustrating the tortures of a soul which rejects belief and yet holds belief to be essential to salvation. Fray Thomas de Sos reported to the Toledo Tribunal that, while on a mission at Iofrin, a penitent had asked him to obtain a commission to absolve her for heresies internal and external, which yet were occult, as she had never expressed them except to her aunt. She said that, on a previous occasion, a confessor had done this for her, and she wished to avoid the disgrace of personal appearance before the Inquisition. He was ordered to ascertain all details, and reported that the penitent was a poor woman named Maria Lara, living with an aunt aged eighty. Her heresies were only of a few months' standing, occasioned by intense grief at the ingratitude of one whom she had benefited. She disbelieved in the Trinity, the Incarnation, the Law of God, the Virgin, Hell, and the Devil, and at the same time felt herself lost beyond the hope of salvation. She could not say how much of this she had uttered to herself or before her aunt, 
and the importance attached to this point indicates the weight attributed to the distinction between internal and external heresy the aunt was examined the cure of iophrine was called in the registers were searched and finally after six weeks had been consumed a commission was issued which the good fraile eager to heal a despairing soul at an hour's notice bore to iophrine and absolved her these cases gave the inquisition considerable concern and in seventeen seventy two the suprema called upon all the tribunals to report what was their practice after carefully weighing their answers it issued november ninth seventeen seventy two instructions that when a confessor reported such a case he was to be ordered to use every effort to induce the penitent to denounce himself assuring him of merciful treatment and showing that he would thus be saved in case of denunciation by others he could make this denunciation to the tribunal or to a commissioner or could even authorize a confessor to denounce him giving all the details under oath if however the penitent obstinately refused then the confessor could absolve him explaining that it was only in the form of conscience if we may believe lorenzo villanueva however this liberal concession was by no means put in practice at least by all tribunals confession of formal heresy was not so leniently treated and as it inferred accomplices every effort was made to secure their denunciation the confessor was ordered to persuade if possible the penitent to come to the inquisition and confess as to himself and others promising secret absolution without confiscation this was virtually the offer made to those who came forward under an edict of grace and did not exclude arbitrary pecuniary penance it was not likely to attract self-denunciation especially as it included betraying kindred and friends although power to absolve was not granted in the case of refusal this led to a deadlock and possibly in such cases the confessor was expected to violate the seal of confession under the old rule that it did not cover heresy at least this may be inferred from a case occurring in lima about fifteen eighty when padre luis lopez s j reported that a penitent in confession had admitted to have judaized and on being told to go to the inquisition had refused the matter was regarded as so grave that it was referred to the suprema which sent orders to deliver lopez to the viceroy for shipment to spain apparently one who would not violate the seal was too dangerous to be left in peru simancas however characterized this as a most pernicious doctrine and argues that infraction of the seal is much worse than allowing a heretic to escape punishment when the inquisition was re-established in eighteen fourteen under the restoration it recognized the impossibility of investigating and punishing the innumerable heresies disseminated in the license of years of warfare and exposure to foreign armies in its zeal for the salvation of souls it therefore by edict of january two eighteen fifteen granted for a year to all confessors faculties to absolve for heresy external or mixed the confessor in fact was made a quasi-inquisitor and the procedure formidably resembled that of the tribunals the penitent had a pledge of secrecy but his confession had to be minute and comprehensive it was reduced to writing signed and sworn to 
and was then forwarded to the tribunal to be filed among its records this relieved him from prosecution in case of denunciation by others while if he refused to do this he was to be absolved but only in the forum of conscience he was to be reported to the tribunal and remain liable to the external forum in view of the recognized principle that sacramental absolution does not affect the external forum it shows the watchful jealousy with which the inquisition guarded its jurisdiction that it remonstrated against the papal indulgences of santa cruzada and the jubilee the former granted an indulgencia plenissima it was a state affair managed by the government and bringing in a large revenue of which a portion accrued to the holy see its sales was pushed in every quarter with utmost vigor and the inquisition punished severely any utterances calculated to diminish the demand only extreme sensitiveness as to its jurisdiction could have led the inquisition to cast any doubt as to the unlimited efficacy of the indulgence but when st pius v in fifteen seventy one after an interval of five years renewed the concession of the crusada it took the alarm in cartas acordadas of may thirty and june thirteenth fifteen seventy two the suprema informs the tribunals that in some places it is asserted that the cruzada bulls grant faculties for the absolution of heresy this is not the case and if it were the pope would be asked to withdraw them the assertion must be contradicted everywhere and the prelates are to be asked to give corresponding instructions to confessors a more effective step was taken in fifteen seventy six by procuring from gregory the thirteenth a brief declaring that it never was the papal intention that the indulgence should include heresy and to make this known he authorized the commissioner of the crusada to translate the brief into the vernacular and publish it wherever the crusada was preached the suprema did not trust the commissioner but sent copies of the brief to all the tribunals with instructions to notify the ordinaries and the prelates of the orders so that confessors might be duly informed a month later in january fifteen seventy seven it ordered the brief to be published in all the churches eventually however its anxieties were removed by a clause in the bullas of the crusada specifically accepting heresy from the faculties granted to confessors a form which they have retained to the present day long after the extinction of the holy office the crusada indulgence was a special financial favor to the spanish monarchy which it could virtually control but it was otherwise with the jubilee indulgences which about this period the popes began to publish plenary remission of sins such as were obtainable by pilgrimage to rome at the jubilees celebrated every twenty-five years st pius v set the example of this on his accession in fifteen sixty six which has since been followed by his successors together with special jubilees decreed at decreasing intervals the jubilee published in fifteen seventy two on the accession of gregory the thirteenth accepted heretics and readers of prohibited books and added a positive declaration that in it and all that might be subsequently issued the absolution was only in the form of conscience and did not affect the judicial forum taking advantage of this when another jubilee indulgence appeared in fifteen seventy eight the suprema ordered it to be published with the omission of all that concerned the inquisition 
in accordance with the declarations of Gregory. Subsequent jubilees, however, of 1589, 1592, and 1595, included heresy and called forth unavailing protests from Spain until finally, in the latter year, preachers were ordered to declare, as of their own motion, that under the general clause of the jubilee, absolution could not be had for heresy. While the Roman Inquisition made no protest against these indulgences, the Spanish persistently objected to them, and it seemed impossible to harmonize the conflict. When Alexander the Seventh, on his accession in 1655, published a jubilee, it contained the obnoxious clause. Cabrera, the agent of the Suprema in Rome, warmly remonstrated with him, and he promised in future to accept heresy. This did not satisfy Cabrera, who asked for a constitution accepting heresy from all jubilees. Alexander promised to investigate the matter, but apparently his investigations were resultless, for the subject continued till the end of the century to furnish occasion for repeated discussion. Heresy was an elastic term, and the Inquisition stretched it to extend its exclusive jurisdiction in all directions. It did the same to shield itself from the investigation and restraint. We are told that, in the numerous cases of appeal to the throne for injustice suffered at its hands, if the king ordered the inquisitor-general to report on the subject, so that it might be submitted to a junta composed of members of the Suprema and Royal Council, the first business of the Suprema was to examine whether the question arose from a matter of faith or was in any way dependent upon faith, or concerned the free exercise of the duties of the holy office. There were not many things that could not be brought within this charmed circle, and then a consulta was addressed to the monarch protesting that he could not refer it to a junta, because its nature precluded its consideration by laymen, and it would be a violation of the secrecy of the Inquisition so that it had to be submitted to the Suprema alone, which would make a verbal report to him. It was on record that, in a case of this kind, Philip II pledged his royal word that he and Don Cristóbal de Morcera alone should be admitted to the confidence, and, in 1645, Philip IV could only obtain from Arque y Reynosa a verbal explanation. Thus, between exclusive cognizance and inviolable secrecy, the Inquisition realized the ideal of spiritual jurisdiction. It judged all and was judged by none. End of Book 3, Chapter 1, Part 2